Hey everyone, this is Brother Wayne Clemens. I just want to thank you for tuning in with us today and being part of the worship experience here at Potter's Hope. Also, I want to tell you that there's several different venues that you'll be able to get the message in the entirety if you'd like. They're either by podcast or either going to pottershope.com where you'll also be able to listen and watch uh, for any of those times. But also, I want to encourage you to be with us in person, 8.30 Central Time at Exit 124, right there at White Mills and the Eastview Exit right off the Western Kentucky Parkway. And then also on campus, Sunday mornings here at 135 Commerce Drive uh, at 10.30. Also, our Wednesday night services at 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. But anyway, God bless you. I hope this message just um, in this time of encouragement finds you doing awesome. Be encouraged and know that Jesus loves you. God bless. Praise the Lord. Man, 1 Chronicles chapter 13. Uh, I've been excited, man. i got about three different messages uh, that I was kind of like, I usually don't, it's usually not like this. Uh, I'm going to preach all three of them today. We'll be out by 3.30. Uh, I'm just kidding. I've had to sort through them and ask for the Holy Ghost to, to just help me which one to deliver to you today. And uh, um, this one has, has been brewing, man, in my soul for a little while, for sure. First uh, Chronicles 13, we'll get to the text, and then we'll launch from there, okay? And we'll go one through five. And David consulted with the captains of the thousands and hundreds as with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that if it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere. Everybody say everywhere. And the word says that are left in the land of Israel and with them also to the priests, the Levites, which are in their cities and their suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us. You can see his heart. In verse 3, this is really the one that got me. He said, let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. You see David's heart. Let us bring the ark of God unto us. Let us do that because we've inquired not at it in the days of Saul. All the congregation said that they would do so for the thing that was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all of Israel together from Shihor unto Egypt, even unto the, entering unto Hemath, and bringing to the ark of God unto Kerajathim. Yeah, and if you all know how to say that better than me, that's fine. And David went up and all of Israel to Bala, that is, once again, that place, which belonged to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of God, the Lord, that dwelleth between the cherubims, whose name is called on it. And they carried the ark of God in a new cart, say a new cart. The word said out of the house of Abinadab and Uzzah and Iah drave the cart. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might and with singing and with harps and with psalteries and with timbrels and with cymbals and with trumpets. And man, they got it going on, so it seems. And when they came under the threshing floor, uh-oh. And when they came under the threshing floor of Shadon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen had stumbled, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, wherefore they called that place Parauzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? So David brought not the ark of a home to himself to the city of David and carried it aside to the house of Obadiah the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obadiah in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obadiah 
and all that he had. Come on, pray with me. Lord, we love you so much today, God. So thankful for the power of your word. I pray today, God, that once again I'm asking you, and God, humbly before you, anoint these lips of clay that I may bring forth your holy word, that, God, it would have a, a learning impact, a lasting impact, a loving impact, God, upon all of us today, myself included. Today, God, let me present your word fully and wholly, God, unto your people. I'm trusting you today, God, to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could even ask or think. And God, today, let this be not just somebody's day. Let it be everybody's day with you. Today, God, I just pray that you'd send holy angels. God, just go ahead. They're probably already encamped, but God, just go ahead. Just let that warfare, Father, be worn out by those you've assigned, God, to this place. And God, around here, I believe that today, God. We bind any distractions, God, any obstruction that would keep the word from coming forth. And, God, I pray that our minds would be focused, our hearts aligned, God, to receive your word. Do what you do today, God. And, Father, today, Holy Ghost, search for any leaven within the lump. God, that we may leave this place holy and pure unto you, yet bound by the bounds of grace and truth and your love, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. Amen and amen. Turn to somebody and say, does he really matter to you? If you could, let me, let me, let me, if I could, let, let me do this. Let me, let me bring us up to where we're at. Saul is dead. Saul has died. He's the first king of Israel. David now is the rightful heir to, and the rightful anointed and appointed king now to be in place here. And as David is coming, he, he comes back to Jerusalem, which is known as the city of David, which is there at Mount Zion, the city that is set upon a hill. It's the very one in Scripture that we see. And now David is there in Jerusalem. He's got this heart. He's got this heart to bring the ark of God, which is the ark of the covenant, back to Jerusalem. Okay, he's got that heart to do that. And, and today, I need to tell you that if I could start here, this is really where I'm at. Is that several weeks back, I, I, I really felt the Holy Ghost just, boy, just impressing, even to the point of crowding me. And, I, and when he does that, I know it's him. And he begins to crowd me and begins to... Bring me in, if you will, to, to the very gate of where he wants me to go. And the whole thought this morning is this, making God matter again. And I know that's probably not real good English. I, I don't really know what it is, but it's kind of the way that I got it from God. And it's just simply coming to the place of making God matter again. Now, if I were to ask you, and I will, I'll go ahead and ask you, how many of you, how many of you, God matters to you? Raise your hand. He matters to you. So the question is that I believe in here today he matters to you to the point to where you were compelled to, to quit worshiping St. Mattress and come to church. I believe today you chose to be a holy roller of a different kind, right? So the thing is that you were compelled enough, inspired enough by the Holy Ghost of God to come. And so he mattered enough for you to be here today. But can I tell you, it's not God's intention just for you to be here today. We came today to recognize, to realize that we stand in the presence of a holy God, a real God, and the very God that the world says is not anymore, I declare, is forevermore. That's the one I'm here today to tell you about, to preach about, and that I want you to take home with you. Making God matter again. You see, we look at our own lives and we say, sure, God matters. But somehow we end up putting Him in a back room in our life when does he matter the most? When I'm broke? When does he matter the most? When I need healing? When does he matter the most? When my marriage needs to be restored? 
When does he matter the most? At those times that he's the most. Can I tell you, God doesn't just want to be part of a few days in your life. God wants to be part and be all of every day in your life and in my life. I'm here today to preach to you, I want God to matter again. I want God to matter again. Not just some, but I want God not just to be any of it. I want Him to be all of it again. I believe in the Word of God. Wholly, completely, and most assuredly. Today, why is this upon my heart? Because of what I see. I've got a few things that I want to share with you statistically. And as the world continues to go in the direction it goes in, and the kingdom now, and, and the difference between the sheep and the goats, the tares and the wheat now, the divide is becoming wider and wider, and it's becoming more clear every day that we don't belong here. So then why are we still here? We're here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're here today to be the intercessors for those that are lost, that those that God are still calling in these last days. That's why we're still here. That's why the church is still here. Does God really matter? Does God really matter? Let me share with you statistically what's going on. Eric, if you could, I, I've got a few things here that I want to share with you, and he'll put it up on the screen too, I think, if it'll come up. It's not all the time that I do this, but I want to speak it. I want you to see it. A new nationwide survey of American Christian pastors says pastors show that a majority of pastors like a biblical worldview. I want to stop right there. Somebody said, what is a biblical worldview? That everything and anything that comes into my life and the way that I view the world, I do not view it through cultural lenses. I do not view it through my own glasses. I view this, the whole everything, why you and I are here for, through the Word of God. I see you through the Word of God. I see the loss through the Word of God. I see your marriage being restored through the Word of God. I still... Am I preaching to anybody yet? I see healing through the Word of God. I see addiction and chains broken through the Word of God. I look at everything through a biblical worldview. Not the view of the White House, not the view of your house, but the view of His house and through the power of this precious Word of God that still has the power to put the enemy to flight. That still has the power to save those that are in the guttermost to the uttermost. I believe it. Now, how many of you do? You'll shake your head, yes. But how many of us today view marriage the way God views marriage? Oh, now, wait a minute, Pastor. You're going to get on the wrong side of some people. I don't care if getting on the wrong side of you. I just want to stay on the right side of God. I believe the Word of God. Let me tell you where you're at. And for those folks that are watching today, and I want to make it very clear that I believe in this Word. I believe in this Word. So when the world says this, and you're seeing this now because Jezebel's nest is being steered up because of Roe versus Wade. And by the way, 
How many of us can stop right now and just take a praise break and say we believe in life the way? just made hell mad I don't believe this because I think it's right I believe because God ordained it to be right this is what you're up against is that people are now becoming the voice of God that know nothing about the holy God that I know people are saying well I believe that God would have it that if I love somebody that we should be able to love whoever we want Now, I say that, and I I need to take, would you please take the swagger out of my head right now? Let me take that back. And say this humbly. That the enemy knows that a little bit of leaven, that if he keeps giving a little bit of leaven, it will leaven the whole lump. So, well, that sounds good. Does God believe that we should love people? Yeah, you know, he does that. But then what happens is this, is that would it be right for a man that's married to love another man's wife enough to split that marriage up and to marry her? Would that be right in the eyes of God? Yeah, God wants me to love her. But you see, this is how the enemy works. So immediately when that hits my ear, I'm saying, hold on a minute, something's wrong with that. You see, your theology will be built on your ideology. Can I say that again? Your theology and the way that you view God will be beat or will be built upon your ideology. Let me tell you, this is real simple. Rick, it's real simple today. There is a, it's just a very simple ideology that's going on. Man today is struggling with the fact, did God make man or did man make God? That's the struggle. That's Romans chapter 1. Well, I can't believe in a creator, so I'm going to believe in the creature. And so then it, therein it lies that the creature created the creator. My dear friend that's already graduated and went to glory, Rick Clendenden said, I got two words for that. Stupid. Do you really think, well, you know, that big bang theory, you know, that's just it. I understand if it all exploded, but who put it back together? You take, hey, listen, you take a piece of bologna and some cheese and two pieces of bread, you do that, and you take it out in the forest somewhere deep, take it out there, and then come back a million years later. Oh, let's make it simple. Let's come back a thousand years later and see if it's put together. Somebody got to put, some of y'all stop. Y'all hungry. Y'all still at bologna and cheese? I'm trying to make a point. <laughs> Get past that. Stay with me. This is where the world is, Helena. This is where the world is. Well, God God would have it that, that I should be able to love whoever I want to love. You better watch when you start taking on the voice of God. It's wrong. If it just stopped there, if it just, if it just stopped, but it won't. So then what happens when a 25-year-old man decides that he loves a 12-year-old boy? What, did y'all think he wasn't going to get the truth? Because that's what's being preached. It will not stop with that. The enemy does not just want to steal. He wants to kill. And he wants to do what? Oh, but I need some shouting going on. 
Somebody say, but I have come. That you might have life. And you may have it how? Oh, somebody shout abundantly in the house. So see, if we continue on that path, that's what we're going to get. I'm here today to tell you that you have got to have a biblical worldview. You have got, you and I, have got to look through everything through the lens of this precious Word of God. Amen, preacher. Amen. Amen. I ain't done. By the way, you need scripture to back that up? Thank you. God said in his word that a man would leave his mother and his father and he would cleave unto his wife and they would be one flesh. That's the word of God. God ordained that I didn't and you didn't and the world sure didn't. But I will tell you, it's time to get yourself off the slide of this world. Well, Brother Wayne, what about this? And what? Can I tell you, the word of God does not mean that we don't love, does not mean that we do not grace. I understand today that this is an in-your-face kind of gospel. But can I tell you, I want God to get in your face so he can get in your heart and bring all of us to a place of truth to where we can leave this place. Stand for the word of God like not just your life, my life, but everything that you've seen up here dancing, that it depends on their life. Can I get a witness in the house? The majority of pastors lack a biblical worldview. In fact, according to Barna, just slightly more than a third, 37% possess a biblical worldview in the majority. What? Only 37% hold a biblical worldview. 62% hold a hybrid worldview known as syncretism which is the blending of ideas and applications from a variety of holistic worldviews into a unique an inconsistent combination that represents their personal preferences. I'd like to stop right here again and tell you my intention. My intention is to make God matter again. I'm going to make it clear, Kathy. I want to make God matter again. And it begins with you and me. The blending of those ideas and applications, meaning this, syncretism is this. I'm going to take a little bit of the gospel, then I'm going to infuse, if you will, my own thoughts, my own beliefs, Frank, and those things. And somehow, I'm going to come to this point of syncretism or kind of a hybrid, if you will. God is holy, 100% pure. You do not take this gospel. You may try, but when you do, it's a lying gospel. Not set forth by you, or by him, but rather by you. More than six out of every, look here, more than six of every ten pastors hold this worldview. This trend is also being more. Stay with me, please. I know this is some reading, but I want you to get it. Listen, this trend is also being seen more widely in American culture, with almost nine out of ten, eighty-eight percent of U.S. adults embracing the syncretism as their primary worldview, according to the latest report. And by the way, if I got this right, this was just done two or three months ago in May. According to the latest report, the level of biblical worldview, listen to this, varies by the pastoral position held. What is that saying? That is saying this, that if 90%, almost 90% of the adults are people that are in church, they hold that view, and they hold the same view as their pastor holds. So what I want to tell you today is I believe all of it.
I don't ever want there to be a doubt. Ever. That 90% today. What's happened? What's happened? Jake, you alluded to it here a while back. You and I have talked about this. But the thing is, is that we believe that God is just a Sunday morning experience. So if we bring in a fog machine and a new praise leader, a new this or that, then somehow we, we, bring, we, we, we bring God into the mix. That builds your feels, but it don't do anything for your faith. And so what happens, can I tell you, you can have your fog. I want the fire of God. Because, listen, God is attracted not by the fog, but by the sacrifice of men and women that love God and will lay themselves on the altars of consecration unto Him and say, I'm going to serve you until I die. I'm going to worship you, though there be nary other hand ever raised in the house. Though there be nary other hand. Though there be nary other person that will say, I will go with you. How many of you are going to go on with God regardless of what the world said? Oh, I've got the feels before. How many of you have felt that they call it chicken skin? Comes up. How many of y'all ever felt that before? I hate to admit it, but if that's all you ever get, that just makes you a chicken. It takes more than that. It takes the presence of an almighty God moving in our heart. I'm telling you, I want to make God matter again. I got an outline, Kathy. I'll get to it, I promise. These statistics show you that what's up here bleeds to what down here. The elders that are in this place, if I ever neglect to preach the whole word of God, if I ever neglect to preach this holy word of God, then it's your responsibility to hold me accountable, to remove me from this pulpit and say you're no longer preaching the word of God. That's fine. Who holds them accountable? You do. This is a pastor-led church. Somebody said, what is a pastor-led church? A pastor-led church believes that through the inspiration of God, God moves through a man, moves through his people. But when I say this, a pastor-led church is one that has elder accountability, congregational accountability in the fullest of matter and mind. Is that the preacher cannot be there just to reign within his own mind and build his own kingdom. He has to be set forth to bring people to serve God and to seek his kingdom. I'm so humbled by that. Man, y'all pray for me. How God could use a flawed man. And that whole thing among senior pastors, for instance, 41% of them hold a biblical worldview. The highest incidence among any of the five pastoral positions studied, the next high was 28% among associate pastors. What's it saying? If 41% of the senior pastors believe it, then in our case, maybe it was Jake, or excuse me, myself, if you want to give that title, whatever. And then Jake is associate pastor that, listen, 41% of the senior pastors, but then only 28% of the rest of the associate pastors believe in a biblical worldview. I'm going to ask Jake something. 
Do you believe completely and wholeheartedly in a biblical worldview that God is holy, he's true, and his word is 100% true? Absolutely. Let's give God some praise. Amen. What's happened? It gets worse. It gets worse. The 28% of associate pastors, it's more than an age gap. It's a soul gap. It's a holy gap. One of the more concerning revelations emerging from the research is the worldview of pastors who worked with young people. Josh and Jenna, where are you at? Stand, please. Do you all believe assuredly and wholeheartedly and have a biblical worldview that everything that God says is true and it's holy and it's real? 100%. Yes. These are the people that are leading you kids. Let's give God praise today. By the way, they've got a target on them. Pray for them. I'm laying my foundation. What is that? Is this one of the more concerning revelations emerging from research is the worldview of pastors who work with young people. Barna noted this. Rickett noted this, that the study found that only 12% of children and youth pastors hold a biblical worldview. 12% people that are teaching your kids. 12% church. By the way, can I state my intention again? Thank you, I will. I'm here to make God matter again. I'm sick of the enemy. I'm sick of him sifting through the congregations of people. And letting his demonic influence flow through pulpits that goes through the pews. I'm sick of it. When the word of God said give no place to the devil. Can we agree today we're not going to give any place to the devil. Somebody say I give no place to the devil. Not here. Not in my home. Not anywhere in my life. Now can we praise God and believe that today. I'll know how much he matters. And more importantly, he will too. And among teaching pastors, people that are teaching your kids, and people that are teaching congregation, Larry, 13%. Among teaching pastors, the level of biblical worldview is mere 13%. What do you preach if you don't preach the word of God? By the way, for the visitors that are here for the first time, would you all turn? Would you all turn to whoever's next to you and say, "He ain't always like this." Y'all know how I roll, man. When I come off vacation, <laughs> a person's worldview primarily develops. Listen to this: a person's worldview primarily develops before the age of thirteen. 
saying this, and Kathy, you would know this. You would know those instructional years, those fundamental years, that when you worked at the center, that even those years of three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, it says up to the age of 13, that that is the most critical time in that young person's life. I believe it. I believe it. We're to bring these children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord as according to the word of God. We're to train them up and we let you. I know, brother, we're supposed to train them up. We're supposed to train them up. Train them up. I'll tell you what you don't do. Anybody in the house ever had a good beetle hound? By the way, I said beetle. Big Ron, you know what I'm talking about. It ain't really beetle. It's beagle, isn't it? It's beagle. Any of y'all ever had a good beetle hound? Raise your hand high. Hey, good. I see you back there, sis. You get a good beetle hound, man, you throw them out. Jack, they nose to the ground, they hunting. Don't do no cold tracking. They looking for one thing. They looking for the rabbit. What's that got to do with anything? You don't throw a pup out and say, hunt. We're throwing our kids out into this world and say, believe. When you got a young dog, you teach them with an old dog. Turn to somebody and say, it's all about who you run with. It's all about who you run with. Because I'm going to tell you something. What we're doing today is that what happens? You say, oh, I don't know what happened to my kid. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And they get to college, and any piece of Jesus they had is bombarded, Bill, with everything from the world and every college professor that's preaching Marxism, humanism, and every other ism that ain't Godism. And you expect for them to come back, oh, where's my child? It's the same child that you let leave here without giving them the nurture and admonition of God. We can't throw them out and say, hunt. They don't know. That's the reason we train them up. (laughs) Turn to somebody and say, we need old dogs like you. (laughs) No offense, older dog. I'll get through this real quick and get to the outline, okay? Stay with me. Before 13, therefore, from a worldview development perspective, a church's most important ministers are the children, pastor, and youth pastors. Woo! It ain't on me. Wrong. But Josh and Jenna, Lacey and Casey, And anybody else that's bringing up that child from the nursery, from the cradle, we've got to get them to the cross. And that has got to be our heart and our soul's desire and our mission before God. By the way, do you all remember why I'm here? I want to make God matter again. Now, I'm going to get to my message. Click that off. Thank you, Eric. Can we thank God for those people back there? Can we? I, I thank God for all of them.
I do. Point number one. Let's talk about David's heart real quick. You're thinking, he's going to be another 30 minutes. It won't be that long. Give me 28. All right, here's what happens. Here's what happens. David's heart. David now has come, and he's got a heart of worship. It's proven that, you know, he was a heart player. He's the one that calmed the heart of Saul when Saul was just a mess, Jack. But I'm going to get this through quick. Here it is. Say intentional. This word that has been more than a buzzword, it's become a soul word to you and I, and it has been so tested in the past two and a half years that you and I have found it so much harder to be intentional. But intentional is really not the problem. I'm not, don't raise your hand, but how many of you, you can just, you don't have to say nothing. How many of y'all have ever started a diet on Monday and forgot all about it on Friday? People are like, Friday? That's a long diet, Jack. I wither away come Friday. The problem is not intention. David had a heart to bring the ark of God and the presence of God back. It was centuries before, Larry, that God ordained for Moses to make the Ark of the Covenant, set it within a holy tent that was 75 feet wide, 175 feet long, that had the brass laver, the brazen altar, the altar of incense, the table of showbread that we ain't got time to talk about. But the central point of all of that was the Ark of the Covenant. It is the place with a mercy seat on top that God said, I will commune with you there. That word is seen in John chapter 1 that when it said the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word, that was Jesus. The word dwelt is the word tabernacle. Correlates to the same. Centuries before, God ordained that throughout the course of time, it was the presence of God that as they marched around the walls of Jericho, it wasn't the shout that brought it down. It was the presence of God that brought it down. It wasn't by man's hand that the enemy was defeated, but by the presence of God that the enemy is defeated. Can I get a witness in the house? And how God chose to do that, I don't fully understand, Jennifer. I truly don't understand it all. But God ordained it that way to get us to where that what was in the Ark of the Covenant of God now rests on the inside of us. Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ, salvation to all of the world. The very presence of God. Centuries before. 1 Samuel chapter 6, real quick, the Philistines, or excuse me, in the earlier chapters of 1 Samuel, the Philistines, Philistines, whichever one, depending on where you're from, Broadford or Caneyville, wherever you're from, that listen, they came in and they captured the ark of God because the priesthood had forgotten what they were carrying. Eli and his sons, a lot of meat here that I ain't got time to get to. But they captured it, only to find that when they captured the presence of God, they knew that it was a source of strength to the Israelites. But because the Israelites didn't realize what they had, they captured it. 
They took the very ark of God and put it within the very same corridor, if you will, of their own God of the Philistines, which I think was the God of Ashdod or one of those, Molech, whichever one that it was, forgive me. And they put him in there in the same presence only to find the next morning when they put it in there, their huge God had fell over and his head was off and his hands were off. Can I tell you, we have a God that severs the head of the devil and of the enemy and tells him that his hand no longer can affect me. The raw, real presence of God. DJ, listen, David knew. Intention. Let's go back to your diet. You're like, oh, I wish he'd left that alone. The problem with your diet and with our walk with God is not our intention, but it's your consistency. We've got intention to do it all, and yet you've heard this. Let it be more than something. And I got that this morning is this. Is that deaf ears make a dead soul? I just turned my ear to that. And a deaf ear will make a dead soul. David said, I'm, I'm bringing it back. The ark of God in 1 Samuel 6, they sent it back. How they sent it back. The Philistines said, We don't want nothing to do with that God. We ain't even knowing what we got. Heathen. We don't understand that God. We don't want it. They sent it back. They said, put it on a cart. Put two cows that ain't never been yoked before. Put them up there, Steve. Let them go and send it back. We don't know what to do with him. The world don't know what to do with him today either. So they send him back. Let me get on with it. Intentional. That's my first point. Intentional with consistency. And amazing. We start the first, we start the first day of the year, Stephanie. We start the first day. We start our first time with, man, I'm going to serve God this year. Man, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And we do that. And we say, I'm, no, I'm going to get it tomorrow. I'm going to read it tonight. And we start, we open the Bible. And we go, oh, I'm going to read it. And another day and another week. Good intention will not get you to heaven. Your walk and my walk has to have consistency. Amy would not want to be married to a man that was good six days of the week. Don't you start your laughing already, girl. Don't you? <laughs> Somebody said, I know how she controls him. She controls him with a skillet. It ain't just what's in it. I just don't want it on my head. This is the part, is that consistency is this. Who would want a God or who would want a person in their life that's good six days out of seven, but the seventh day being some type of Russian roulette that they don't know who they're getting the next day? Daddy walks through the door, Mama walks through the door, and they just blow up and explode on everybody. We got a mess. And home has become a war zone instead of a refuge that God intended. And hell just wrings its hands, and Satan just laughs and says, that's exactly the leaven that I wanted to place in the home. you got to be consistent. I can applaud people, Christy, in my own life, the people that are consistent. You say, what do you mean, the people that are consistently joyful? I, I can appreciate the people that are consistently sour. That way, I just know what I'm going to get anytime I'm up there. So I'm going to go ahead and have my feet shod with the preparation of peace. How are you doing today? I don't ask. 
on. All right, I won't. Well, is that all you got to say? What do you mean you're not going to ask me? You told me not to ask. Intentional with consistency. We need some consistent Christians. You've got to be intentional in your marriage. You've got to be intentional in your relationship. And you've got to be consistent. I've got to hurry up and get this out. Oh, I've got another hour and a half. Let's see here. This is what they do. This is another part. I, by the way, I'm here to make God matter again. Turn to somebody and say, do you think we can bring God back to life? Would you please do that? Here, help me. Just turn to somebody and say, you think we can bring God back to life? Y'all thinking, wait a minute, I, I've been reading God's not dead. But He is in some people's life. That if I were to tell you today, Mike, that I'm here to bring God back to life. Wait a minute, Pastor, He's not dead. I know He's not. But you know what I want to do? I want to bring God back to life. Not just a Sunday life. I want to bring Him back to being a Monday life. Not just a life that, that I have when I need Him and when I'm broke or when I'm beat down or when I'm depressed or oppressed. Ashton, I, I want to bring God back to my life. Don't you think for one minute that the Holy Ghost don't reprimand me, Jack? Because he does. Got anybody here who wants to bring God back to life? Three of them. I want to bring God back to life. And if you and I choose today to bring God back to our life, listen, that's when now we begin to have an influence on things outside of here. Shannon, I don't want a God. I, I, I couldn't do it. The kind that says, well, I'll go here. We'll meet every other Sunday. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. It'll be okay for me to do this. I, I, I reap of another man's faith. The one thing I can say about Jim is this. Jim said, I had to find me a church that met every day. Jim said, well, true. Not just one day a week. How many of you all know church doesn't start and stop on a Sunday morning? We are the church. We are the body of Christ. <laughs> Woo! So what David does is that he does this. I'm going to call it the buy-in. He gathers everybody together like I'm doing today. I'm doing, that's what I'm doing today. I'm gathering everybody in. How many of y'all here from Grayson County? Raise your hand. How many of y'all here from Edmondson County? Raise your hand. We're praying for you. Let me move on. Just kidding. They're the ones that's helping us. How many here from Hardin County? Gosh, let's thank God for all these people from all these counties. I'm going to go ahead and give Butler County a shout out right over in here. Amen. What we're doing is this. It's called the buy-in. David does this, and it's beautiful. What he does, he gathers everybody together friendly. And he says, this is what we're going to do. He gets the captains, the priests. He gets them all together, and he does a buy-in. When there's a big development going on, Dennis, you're aware of this, that he deals with a lot of concrete, a lot of stuff like that. But when they get to this place, they do a buy-in. 
And see, when they're getting ready to start a huge structure, they're going to let you get it into ground level. Turn to somebody and say, you're getting it into ground level. Because God's getting ready to build something great. And what they do, he gets the buy-in and said, listen, here's the plan. We're going to bring the ark of God back and we're going to worship again. I love that, Frank. He does a buy-in. And there's these people that say, you know what? Man. And David says, listen, if it seems good to you and it seems good to God, if it's God's will and you want to, we're going to bring the ark of God back. We're going to make God matter again. I'm in, Jack. I'm in. Matter of fact, Bobby, I'm all in. And he does a buy-in. And he does it intentionally. I want you to let that resonate in your soul a minute. Are you really buying in? What if I told you it was going to take sacrifice? What if I told you passivity won't work anymore? Because we're bringing the presence of God back. It's never really left here. I don't ascribe to that, but I will tell you this. The enemy is doing everything that he can to push, to press, and to defeat. But he's a loser. How many of you are buying in so far? How many of you believe that when God's here, people change? How many of you believe when God's here, people, listen, addictions are broken? Okay. So I'm going to be intentional. Praise team, go ahead and come. I'm going to get there. If you're going to be intentional, the first thing you got to do is you got to go to Abinadab's house and say, hey, listen, we're here to get him. <laughs> For four or five decades, what has happened since, the, since he's been captured, since the ark of God, and I'll refer to him as him, as the presence of God in that shape and in that form, that chest that was covered by gold that was something like and that had four rings on each corner and had poles stuck between it and four men were to carry it. Stay with me. It's been in Abinadab's house. It's basically become a forgotten relic. Why? David says, I want to bring it back because we've not inquired of it as in the days of Saul. America right now is living in the days of Saul. What is Saul? Saul was selfish. Saul had the spirit, if you will, of divination and of witchcraft and rebellion upon his life. You are witnessing this all across America today. Me first. God last, if ever. We forgot about him. We wanted a king over us, but not a God that would be for us. We wanted to be like other nations. I don't want America to be like other nations. This nation was founded upon the Judeo-Christian values of the Word of God. By perfect men? No, flawed men. Did we get a lot of things wrong? You better believe it. With the issues of slavery, with the issues of oppression, and so many things that grieve my heart today. We've got so many things wrong that only God can make right. And God is looking, not upon the skin of a man, but He's looking much deeper to the soul of a man. 
and a woman and a child. But what will matter, once again, I'm here today to preach to you. I want to make God matter again. Why does he keep saying that? Because a month ago, Holy Spirit, I'm seeing people shot. I'm seeing people killed. And my soul weeps. I say, oh God, people don't even matter. And Holy Ghost said, people won't matter until I matter again. Because if God begins to matter, then sanctity of life matters. Bob, when he begins to matter, Our grandbaby matters. It matters to me, church. It matters. Because it matters to God. I want it to matter to you. For decades, it's been in the house. It's been in Abinadab's house, dust collecting, much as the Bible does today on many people. When it's when it's said that there, I think the average is two to four Bibles in every house today in America. And the Bible is in the house, but the Bible is not in the heart of America. And as dust collects, much as the same way it did, they didn't inquire at the days of Saul. America is more interested in how much that their 401k has lost instead of another person that's lost and dying and done went to hell. Turn to somebody and say it's time to bring God out of storage. David's heart was in the right place. But if you'll read over in 1 Chronicles 15, you'll see the reason of what happens here in 13. Everything's going along fine, much is the way as it does in life. And then, because the oxen had stumbled, Miss Howley, Yusa, that was familiar, but didn't realize, puts his hand to steady God. And God takes him. Pow. David, you can imagine that the procession is coming. They're doing it with all their might. And I'd like to preach that if I could. We come to the house and we, boy, we do. We, we, we throw praises. By the way, if you can play the saxophone and you love Jesus and you believe he's holy and you play the, get with me. I'd love to hear. I would. They're doing all of it. They're coming in, the timbrel, that all these things. They're throwing down. They're all dancing with all their might. Everything's good. And see, they dance with all their might, but it wouldn't right. Because it was still all about them and it wasn't about God. 
You've heard it before. I've, I've brought this to you before out of 2 Samuel 6. I won't be much longer, but here's the deal. So what did God do? God stopped it all. So at the first, we had this, that when you look at that point, the intention, the next thing is the interruption that led to the intervention. God said, you're not going to carry me that way anymore. What had happened is this, say, carts or cows or poles and priests. The thing that they had done is that they had put God on a new cart and they had done that. Where did they get that? Remember where we were in 1 Samuel 6? They had seen the way that the Philistines had sent it back to them and the way that the world chews him up, throws him back and says, carry God this way. And they put it on a a cart with big wheels and big organizations and everything else and said, carry God this way. Make God more of a business than the presence. Forget that your pastor is a real preacher. Now he's become a CEO and executive. And he's taught how to manage people instead of how to manage the presence of God. Where did it come from? It came from the Philistines. Is that what has happened? And it's a true story that the world, excuse me, the church is looking to the world. How are they doing it when the when the world should be looking to the church and say how are they doing it they should be downtrodden they should be sad they're broke and they act like they're rich they're sick but they act like they're already healed can I witness to somebody today they're not serving the same God and God stops it all he said no more Close to that point. I want to thank God for the interruption. The two and a half years ago, everything of what we knew was interrupted. Would you all agree? Life as you knew it, church as you knew it, in general, everything as you knew it. Is that correct? Would you agree that things have been interrupted? It's been changed. And, and, and God was at the helm of all of it. I believe, see, people say, well, it's attack. I'll tell you this, that God uses evil to show you what's good. And that God will allow evil to bring you to good. And so in every bit of this, what happens, Jake, is we're praising God. We're in a rhythm. And you know what? We're doing that, and it's no more than a ritual. And that God says, I wonder how it would really be for them. I interrupted things. Could it be, church? I don't know. I can't fully speak on behalf of God, but I want you to ponder. And God interrupts it, and He says, you're not going to do that like that anymore. Stephen, Dan, Chris, Stephen's here. Dan's behind Stephen. Chris, you're behind me. Stay right there. I hate people that look down on me. I'm just teasing. God said, you're not going to do it with carts and cows anymore. You hear me, Charlie? He said, I don't care what they build. I don't care how many fog machines. I don't care how many lights. 
because fog and lights don't change anybody. But the presence of God, Ethan, will change the soul of a man. And it'll change his home. When it changes his heart. God said we're going to go back the way it should be. We're going to call out, if you look in First, excuse me, First Chronicles 15, find out why that it was a mess. David's angry. He's mad in 13. He's angry. God, what are you doing? I had good intentions. I want everybody to worship again. God said, not like that. It's more about you than it is about me. And when you look at First Chronicles 15, Steve, we find that David really sees what it is. David has to go. And during the three months that the Ark of the Covenant is within the house of Obed-Edom. And Obed-Edom, a Gittite, which some people say was from the town of Gath, which had been, could have been a Philistine type of city, that how could God bless Obed-Edom if he was truly a Philistine or that he was from the city of Gath? There's questions about that, but stay with me. What in the world is going on? David's still mad. God, how could you do that? You had good intention, but you did it the wrong way. Heard somebody say this lately. It's like somebody taking graffiti and taking the paint and putting on an overpass. John 3.16. How many of you like the message of John 3.16? How many of you think it's right to spray paint it up? You had good intentions, but you did that wrong. That's a real simple analogy. God stopped it all. What was it? What was it that caused it? I love these. What was it that caused it? David sought the Lord. He went back and read scripture and got versed and seen that it was the priest that were to carry the presence of God. That's you, Pastor Wayne. That's you. There was a little boy years ago, and you'll, you'll laugh at this. I've been called a uh, little boy playing. I used to coach a lot of junior pro football. And a little boy from the other team, I don't know, he, you'll probably remember this too, Jake. He comes running over. His coach said, where are you going? He said, I'm going over. He said, I'm going to go give my priest a hug. Other little girl goes and sees me and Amy going around the square. She's with her mama, and she looks at her mama, and she says, Mama. I said, yeah, baby. She said, there goes our creature. <laughs> We're going to leave that remark right here. There goes our creature. Other little boy, never forget this. Years ago, I was preaching at Evely. Hadn't been there long. Little boy tugs his mama's dress. Looks up at me. He said, Mama. I said, What, baby? He said, That's God. Don't pack that one with you either. God never intended for it to be like that. Turn to somebody and say, Our God is weighty. The truth of the matter is that the Ark of the Covenant probably weighed well over 500 pounds. You can see why the weight of God, Paul, that we would want to put it on somebody else. Why we would want to invent a new way to bring God to the world. But God said, step. Step. Mm -hmm. Step. Step. 
Step, five, step, six. Stay right there. They did it different this time. Before, when they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to God, there was no sacrifice. Before, there was no blood involved. That when you look at 2 Samuel 6 and you type 1 Chronicles 13 and 15, he was going back. Frank, you already know it. The thing is, they were going back. They said this. He said, we sought him not after his due order. We had the right intention, but we were out of order in the way that we did it. Today, many of our church services, by the way, could you give these guys a hand? Thank you, fellas. Thank you. Listen. You can't do Jesus without the blood. You can't do it without the blood. So what happened is this, as you'll find in Scripture when you read those, and this is so, you've, you, you all studied this before, many of you have. What they did, Jake, is they go six paces, just like we went. Now, can you imagine? Most would ascribe to this. They would go six paces, about 18 feet. They'd stop. They'd slaughter an animal. The blood would be shed, and they would go. You read it. What am I saying? Oh, God, I... That's my life. It doesn't seem like I can go anywhere to what I don't need the blood of Jesus. But we go all throughout our day thinking we don't need it. The church has forgotten. And God is doing an intervention. And I'm done. God matters. God matters. You may feel like the weight of the world is on you, and can I tell you, Jesus felt the same way. Why? Because he came to seek and to save that which is lost. The weight of the world may be on you, may be the heart for lost people. It may be the heart for those that need redemption through Jesus Christ in the blood. Does he matter? God, I love you. I praise you. I thank you. And God, today, the, the whole point today that I, that I must come to is that God today using the element of the Old Testament to see God within our worship and things. Have we had the right intentions, but have we done it the wrong way? Well, Father, I can honestly say today that pour from heaven your grace, but oh, God, Please send your truth. Without the truth, no man is convicted. And without grace, I don't know that any of us can make it. But God, today, would you survey my soul, all of our souls today, God, that more than just statistic, statistically, God, that we say that I need you. God, because it's not going to just matter. It doesn't just matter today. But it's going to matter on the day that we die. And the God that we've carried and the God that's lived in us. I'm not asking today. I, I just, it looks, I, I think everybody's, your head's bowed, your eyes are closed. How many of you believe that God should matter again? Would you please raise your hand and lift it high? I want God to matter again. Would you raise your hand? How many of you believe that it should start with you? Please leave your hand up. Let it start with me that God, I believe it should matter with me.
How many of you believe it should matter with the one next to you? How many of you would pray for the one next to you? And I know most assuredly that you believe, how many of you believe that it matters for this generation right now that we saw up here in front of us? Would you raise your hand? It matters. If you raised your hand, I'm praying right now that your intercessor's heart would come right now. Slip out of the seat. Don't wait for the next one next to you. But come right now and begin to pray and begin to ask God. Every heart in this place that chooses to do that right now. Young people, old people. Christians from the back to the front. Please don't let anything stop you. Bring your child with you. If we're agreeing that it matters, then let's pray together around this altar like it matters. I'm not done. I'm not done because if you're here today and you're lost and you don't know Jesus, you matter to me because you matter to God. There's more. Don't you wait. You tell me. I see it in the text. I see it in different things. You tell me it matters, but does he matter today? Your soul's not right. Let's get it right. He's here. He's here. Draw an eye to me and I'll draw an eye to you. Come on, Jenny, whatever's on your heart. If you're here at this altar and you don't know Jesus and you're saying, Brother Wayne, I need him today. I don't know where I'll spend eternity, but I need him. I need him. I, I need him in my life. I want Jesus to save me. Oh, my hands praise you again. When I, when I tell you that God matters, I know you're thinking, ah, that sounds like an inconvenience. Hmm. It'd be hard to tell Jesus that the cross was an inconvenience, wouldn't it? It'd be tough. It'd be tough. Today, God matters. By the way, I just want to tell you all again my intention. Because I want to make God, Chase. I want to make God matter again. I want to bring God back to life. I love you. Go make a difference.
Hey, everybody, just wanted to thank you once again for being with us here in our worship service today and taking the time out, which I know is so valuable to you. God bless you and be encouraged. And remember, Jesus is King. Thank you.